You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. You know, it's funny. So much of the Knicks' success under Tom Thibodeau has been a result of their best players playing as many games as possible. And in a sense, the NBA can be um, a very simple proposition if you're able to implement that plan. And it's only a two-week stretch here for the Knicks, but all of the... I mean, they were 33-18 and 18 a week ago. And their high-water mark of the season, uh, at 15 games above 500, they were on a 52-53 win pace. And the injuries that they have suffered, and, you know, it starts with a Mitchell Robinson, and they were able to withstand that because Isaiah Hartenstein took his game to another level. And then Julius Randle, who never misses time, a collision with Jaime Jaquez Jr., and all of a sudden, he's out for at least a month. And at the same time he goes out unexpectedly, you lose OG Ananobi for basically the same amount of time. Yet even without those guys and without Isaiah Hartenstein, because he missed some time, they kept on winning. Now, some of that was a byproduct of their schedule. Some of that was Jalen Brunson and Dante DiVincenzo and Precious Achua elevating their games. But then Hartenstein goes out again. DiVincenzo misses a game. Boyan Bogdanovich misses a game. You had to play one game the night of the trade deadline where you had virtually no rotation because the new guys, Bogdanovich and Burks, weren't there yet. And you didn't have Quentin Grimes or Malachi Flynn or the guys you traded available to play. So you essentially had to throw away that game uh, to the Indiana Pacers on the night of the trade deadline. And next thing you know, you look up and you're on a four-game losing streak and you're at a crucial point in your schedule. And I think the timing of the All-Star break for the Knicks was a godsend. And it's going to be, you know, full speed ahead for this team starting on Thursday in Philadelphia. Hopefully what Tom Thibodeau said before the Orlando game is correct regarding DiVincenzo and Hartenstein and Bogdanovich being able to play. Bogdanovich wasn't brought in here to play 38 minutes, and neither was Alec Burks. I mean, Knicks fans have seen what the team looks like when Alec Burks plays 35 to 38 minutes a game. That was the 2021-2022 season when he essentially was the team's starting point guard for the second half of the year, and it was the one season under Tom Thibodeau that they missed the playoffs. That's not why they brought those two guys in. So you need DiVincenzo and you need Hartenstein to come back. You need Randall and you need Ananobi to come back. And you need everyone to fill the role that they are expected to fill. And then we'll see what this team looks like. All right, let's open up the phone lines as we begin our final hour of the show. Again, Pat O'Keefe with you till noon. Larry Hardesty coming up then. And then he'll bring you right into... Rangers hockey, the stadium series at MetLife Stadium, the Rangers and the New York Islanders. Our coverage begins with Don LaGreca at 2.30, Kenny Albert and Dave Maloney on the call starting at 3. Let's go to CJ in Brooklyn. CJ, good morning. How you doing? How you doing? Good morning. Um, I just wanted to comment on two things. Um, one, kind of went hard on uh, Damian Lillard over there. A little I bit. feel like, yep, go ahead. No, you're right. A little bit. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think that, you know, he, he he's doing his the best he can. I mean, he played in the West, and he had that juggernaut Golden State, and he made the conference finals at least once. But he didn't play with the All-Star for almost a decade. And, man, he was supposed to go to the Heat because, yeah, just him on the Bucks. I don't think it's, like, the best fit right now. And then the other thing is um, with the Knicks, I kind of realized with the way they play in their roster that, they kind of remind me of the old four Pistons. I'm not saying the defense is 
up there, but just kind of everybody pitching in. What do you think about that? That's a good point, and I think that's by design, CJ. That's a Tom Thibodeau type of team. The 4 Pistons are the one team. But what's been the one criticism of the Knicks during this last four or five year stretch when they have, you know, returned to a spot in the NBA landscape where they're one of the better teams. The one criticism has been, well, they still don't have a superstar. How many superstars are there in the NBA who are capable of winning a championship as the lead man on the team? I'm going to go through the, 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 standings right now in the NBA. All right, the Celtics have a superstar. They have Jason Tatum. The Bucks have a superstar. They have Giannis Antetokounmpo. They're 3 and 7 in their last 10 games since Doc Rivers took over as their head coach, and they're a mess right now. Their last game before the All-Star break, they lost on the road to the Memphis Grizzlies, who are a glorified G League roster. The 76ers have a superstar, but Joel Embiid can never stay healthy. Are you going to tell me that Tyrese Halliburton is a superstar? If you tell me that Halliburton's a superstar, then you have to also tell me that Jalen Brunson is a superstar. Kevin Durant's a superstar, but he's old. And last year, they flamed out in the last two games of the second round of the playoffs. Durant can't carry the load. And by the way, he's playing alongside a guy who a lot of people consider to be a superstar in Devin Booker. Nikola Jokic is a superstar, and he won the championship last season. Kawhi Leonard, when healthy, is a superstar. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I think, is now a superstar. But there's not that many teams that have the quote-unquote superstar. And half of those teams that I just mentioned have clear flaws, like the Milwaukee Bucks, like the Philadelphia 76ers, and there's no guarantees for them. So the other part of that is right now, the Knicks are closer to having a superstar than they have been at any point since 2013 when Carmelo Anthony was leading the NBA in scoring. I mean, what more does Jalen Brunson have to do? He's an all-star. He should be starting in the all-star game. He is averaging 27.6 points per game. He is the focal point of the offense. He has the ball in his hands all the time. He shoots 41% from three-point range. He shoots 48% from the field on a high degree of difficulty of shots. If that's not a superstar, then it's the next best thing in the NBA today. So if you can't build, uh, build a team with a superstar, if you can't get one of those coveted guys, how do you supplement your roster? Well, a good start would be have another all-star alongside your best player. Knicks have that. Julius Randle's been an all-star three times in the last four seasons. Then you have these guys who fill specific roles that match really well with the way the head coach wants to coach. OG Ananobi is a perfect example. Dante DiVincenzo is a perfect example. Isaiah Hartenstein is as well. So is Josh Hart. And I think once the Knicks get healthy, you'll see that Boyan Bogdanovich is that type of player as well. The possibilities for this Knicks team are really, really exciting if they can get whole. Now, the comment about Damian Lillard, was I a little too harsh on him? I probably was. A lot of that was in jest. But let's look at what Damian Lillard is. First of all, I know he went to the conference finals in 2019. There was a weird thing in the regular season standings that year. The two best teams in the Western Conference in 2019 were the Warriors and the Rockets. 
And something happened with the standings on the last day of the season where the Rockets, I think, fell to fourth place in the Western Conference. So anyway, the Warriors that year ended up playing Houston in the second round. On the other side of the bracket, it was the Nuggets against the Trailblazers. And Portland won in seven games. By the way, the star of Game 7 of that series for Portland was C.J. McCollum. He went off and led them to the conference finals. So yes, technically... Damian Lillard did go to the conference finals. But number one, when they got there, they got swept. And number two, they went to the conference finals during a season in which the two best teams in the Western Conference happened to face off against each other in the second round of the playoffs. Lillard needs to prove it in the preseason. He's had these, what, two buzzer beaters to end series, one against Oklahoma City and one, I think, earlier in his career against Houston. I think he's the only guy to do that. But it also speaks volumes about his career that both of those huge shots came in the first round of the playoffs. He has not had hardly any success going deep in the playoffs except for that one year when, like I said, when they got to the conference finals, they were swept by the Warriors. And that Warriors team, by the way, that was 2019. When they got swept by Golden State, they didn't have Kevin Durant. Durant had already injured his Achilles in the previous round against the Houston Rockets. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks right now are, like I said, they're um, in shambles is too strong of a phrase, but they are not in a good spot right now. You size up the competition for the Knicks in the Eastern Conference. The Bucks have not been able to stop anybody all season long. They allow 119 points per game. And this is a team that the last few years led by Giannis, led by Brooke Lopez, has been one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. Damian Lillard's defensive deficiencies are glaring on this Milwaukee team. They are ripe for the picking, and I'm not sure that Doc Rivers is the right guy to turn things around for them. The Cavaliers just went on an unbelievable heater. They won nine straight games. They were 17-1 over an 18-game stretch. They are in second place in the Eastern Conference right now. I'm only going to point this out, and we know what the Knicks looked like against the Cavaliers in the first round of the playoffs last year. I'm just going to point out a bunch of the teams that the Cavs beat when they went 17-1. Washington, Washington again, San Antonio, Brooklyn, Chicago, Atlanta. They caught Milwaukee during the stretch when they were about to fire, or they had just fired their head coach, Adrian Griffin. And their franchise was in shambles. They beat Detroit. They beat Memphis's G League team. They beat San Antonio. They beat Washington a third time. They beat Brooklyn a second time. They beat Toronto. I mean, that is a very, very fortuitous schedule, which means it's going to even out during the last couple of months of the season. I mean, coming up for uh, the Cavs, they have Orlando. They have Philadelphia. Somehow they get to play the Wizards again. Um but they play Dallas, they play the Knicks, they play the Celtics, they play Minnesota, they play Phoenix, New Orleans, Indiana, Miami, Minnesota, Miami, right? So let's let's see where they are at the end of the season. They caught a spot in the schedule, which, by the way, the Knicks have done too. The Knicks have done as good a job as any team in the NBA of beating squads with records below 500. And that's exactly what the Cavaliers did. So don't, don't just look at 17-1 and one and say, wow, Cleveland is a championship contender. You have to look at it with context and see who the teams they beat during that 17-1 and stretch were. Now, credit to them, during that stretch, they also 
have wins over Sacramento, which is a very good team. They beat the Clippers by 10 points. They did beat the Bucks, so you have to give them credit for that. They beat the Magic, who the Knicks can't seem to beat. But just understand that just because they went 17-1 and doesn't mean that this is like the LeBron James-era Cleveland Cavaliers who are a championship contender. And to wrap up my long-winded point here, responding to our last caller, I think it's by design that the Knicks are similar to the 2004 Detroit Pistons. And yeah, they didn't have a superstar on that team, but Chauncey Billups was the NBA Finals MVP. He was on the verge of becoming a star in this league, and his performance in those finals kind of cemented that for him. And if you look at Chauncey Billups now, the finalists for the Basketball Hall of Fame were just introduced this week, and Chauncey Billups is one of the finalists. So, all right, you want to say they didn't have a superstar. They've already got one guy in the Hall of Fame in Ben Wallace, and they could have another in Chauncey Billups, which leads me to this and another um, piece of evidence as far as is Jalen Brunson a star or not. The fewest games in Knicks history that it took to reach 3,000 points. Jalen Brunson just passed that threshold. Bob McAdoo, who was an MVP before he got to New York and is in the Hall of Fame, he scored 3,000 points as a Nick in 113 games. Jalen Brunson and Carmelo Anthony, it took both of them 118 games to score 3,000. And Bernard King, who people fondly remember as, for a small sample size, the most pure scorer the best scorer in franchise history, he needed 126 games to score 3,000 points as a Nick. Brunson did it in eight fewer games than the scoring machine, Bernard King. I'm not making light of Bernard King. I'm just showing you where Jalen Brunson is in a historical context. All right, let's go back to the phones. Let's go to GM in Valley Stream. What's going on, GM? Hey, good morning. Um, I just wanted to touch on a few things, two quick things. First, uh, I feel that once the Knicks get everyone back from injury, they'll be able to pick up pretty much where they left off from. My question with Randall is, is it his left shoulder or his right? Cause that's, it's his right. That's, it's his right. Okay, so he should be fine. Since he's a, well, I shouldn't say he should be fine, but yeah, you know, it's better. It's, yes. it's better. Um, the next thing is, with that, when Mitch comes back, even when he comes back, that is, Hartenstein should be the guy moving forward. And that's just it. He's more a complete player. We understand Mitch is great on the boards uh, and being a stopper and a, being a presence, but definitely Hartenstein should be the guy moving forward. I understand he's had some injuries recently, but definitely he's like a, a diamond, diamond in the roughs. The next thing would be with Boston. Obviously, they're the cream of the crop in the East. That's not to be d- disputed. Right. My only thing is in watching them over the last three to four years is there needs to be a, a clearly defined role um, with Tatum <clears throat> and Brown. And uh, I believe Emmy Adoko, when he was there, um, we saw more of a role where Tatum was the guy. And I feel that with that role not being defined, they're going to come up short. Um, obviously, I'm a Knicks fan, so... That it is what it is. I'm, you know, that's I would prefer. Obviously, want the Knicks to prevail uh, if and when they meet. But I feel that that's what's holding 
Boston back, right? There needs to be a clearly defined role, a Pippen or Jordan, Isaiah Dumars. There needs to be a role, and I feel that until they do that, they're going to keep coming up short. Um, aside from that, that's pretty much it for, for what I wanted to touch on, but I really feel that the Knicks, once that they get, once they get you know, all of their key pieces back, they should be able to pick up from where they left off, and they, they will finish in the top three. GM, thanks for the call. I would agree with that. The big if for me is, do they get all their pieces back healthy? You never 100% know how players are going to respond to or recover from injuries. All right, it's great to sit here and say, Randall's going to be fine. Ananobi's going to be fine. Mitchell Robinson's going to be fine. You don't know until they're back. I also don't disagree with the point about continuing to start Isaiah Hartenstein even when Robinson comes back. I can see the Knicks doing that for sure, the way that Hartenstein has played. Um, And then the other part of that is, if it's not working, Tom Thibodeau has shown now during two different seasons coaching this team in the playoffs, he's not afraid to change his starting lineup in the middle of the series. Remember, when the Knicks, way back when they went to the playoffs in 2021 and they lost in five to the Hawks, Alfred Payton began that series as the Knicks' starting point guard And then because Julius Randle was struggling with the Atlanta defense focus that was being placed on him, he needed some more offense in the starting lineup. He put Derrick Rose in. Last year, Quentin Grimes was struggling, and then he got injured, and he ended up starting Josh Hart in Grimes' place because he likes to go with the guys who he trusts. So even if he starts a playoff series with Hartenstein as the starting center, if it's not working, if the middle is being left open or the rim is not being protected, I could see him making a switch to Mitchell Robinson. Um, The Celtics point, Tatum and Brown. Um, I mean, the funny thing is this. Yeah, it should be a 1 and 1A, right? Tatum's the better player than Jalen Brown. It's interesting, though, because Brown gets paid more. And not that it's all about that, but... It's interesting that Jalen Brown is the highest paid player in the NBA, and he's not even the best player on his team. Another thing that I'll say is, under Ime Udoka, when the Celtics went to the finals in 2022, and they had a 2-1 to lead in that series, and they were in position to win Game 4 and take a commanding 3-1 to lead, and then Steph Curry had one of the greatest games of his career, salvaged Game 4 for the Warriors, tied the series at two games apiece, Golden State won the next two, and they won the series in six. I remember after Game 3 of that series, when the Celtics were up two games to one, I was speaking with Kevin Winter, who was hosting the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio. I said, who would the MVP be right now? And the consensus was, after three games, the best player in that series for the Celtics was Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum was not good in those NBA Finals. Now, there's no question over the course of their careers, the course of this season, Jason Tatum is the best player on the Celtics. But when they got to that stage, when they got to the furthest level in the sport, it was actually Jalen Brown who was their best player in that series and not Jason Tatum. And then the last point I'll add on the Celtics this year, the reason why I wouldn't compare the 2022 Celtics to the current version of the Celtics, this team just has so many more options. I mean, if Chris Stapp's Porzingis is healthy, he adds an element that they did not remotely have two years ago. And then the other part is Derek White. I know White was on that team, but he was kind of stymied by Marcus Smart. The best thing that has happened to the Boston Celtics this year was they were finally smart enough to bite the bullet and move on from Marcus Smart. And look at how 
uh, Derek White has thrived in the absence of Marcus Smart. Those are two options that the Celtics did not have when they went to the finals in 2022. We'll touch on some football, but we'll continue this conversation on the Knicks with your calls, 1-800-919-3776, as we continue along on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Pat O'Keefe back with you, 98.7 ESPN New York. In for Anita Marks this morning. Anita, she'll be back in her usual spot next weekend, and uh, we'll be live from the park at UBS Arena on Saturday, February 24th, starting at noon before the Islanders matinee matchup against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We're giving away four pairs of lower bowl tickets plus one pair of premium club seats at ESPNNewYork.com or on the ESPN New York app. Just scroll down to contests and submit your entry. Join the New York Islanders for every thrilling matchup in March. Take advantage of special ticket pricing for upcoming home games at UBS Arena and be there for all the exciting action on the ice. Get your tickets today at NewYorkIslanders.com slash March. We've got the Islanders and the Rangers coming up this afternoon. The stadium series from MetLife Stadium. Uh, Our coverage begins with Don LaGreca on the pregame rinkside at 2.30 in the elements, and then Kenny Albert and Dave Maloney have the call right here starting at 3 o'clock. The Rangers on a six-game winning streak against the Islanders trying to creep back into playoff positioning in the Eastern Conference. Let's go back to the phones, 1-800-919-3776, and say hello to Mel in New Jersey. Good morning, Mel. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, Well, good morning. I live in New Jersey, as you said. Me and my friend, we have this conversation a lot. So um, you had a caller call up and say New York don't have any sports team. You know, they can't claim the Jets because it's only five miles away. It doesn't matter if it's five miles away. It's still in New Jersey. And then we always say, well, you don't want to claim Buffalo either. People treat New York City and, like, Buffalo like it's not even in the same state at all. And, you know, as a New Yorker, maybe you can explain to me why Buffalo don't get the love or New York City separates itself from the whole state. It's a, yeah, it's a fair point, Mel, and thanks for the call. I mean, here's the deal. With New York, for me, especially pertaining to football, it means the New York metropolitan area. And the Giants and the Jets both started playing their games in New York. The Giants were playing at Yankee Stadium. They were playing at the Polo Grounds when that existed. The Jets played at uh, Shea Stadium. They played on Randall's Island at Downing Stadium, which I believe is now called Icon Stadium. I mean, the Giants bounced around. In a New York metropolitan area where construction is not easy at all, and there's no greater evidence of that than the disaster that is MetLife Stadium. That just shows how difficult it is to build anything in or around New York City. Um, But the roots of both franchises are in New York. New York, I think we can all agree, depending no matter what side of the river you live on, New York has a certain cachet throughout the world that, for example, Harvey, no offense, New Jersey does not have. So why change the name of your team from New York to New Jersey? The Giants at one point were playing their home games at the Yale Bowl in New Haven, Connecticut. They didn't change their name to the New Haven Giants. They didn't change their name to the Connecticut Giants. They're the New York Giants. They've always been the New York Giants. The Giants and the Jets are called New York now in my lifetime. 
And by the time I started following football, both of them were already playing their home games in East Rutherford at Giant Stadium. In my lifetime, the New York associated to the Giants or associated with the Giants and the Jets has represented the New York metropolitan area. Buffalo, even though it is in the confines of the state of New York, is not part of the New York metropolitan area. They're their own metropolitan area all the way seven hours away in western New York. I mean, how many teams, if you're in New York City, right, you stand in the center of New York City, Times Square, um, and traffic aside, how many teams or football stadiums would you be able to travel to faster then you would get to Buffalo. Obviously, the Giants and the Jets, you would get to Philadelphia faster. You would get to Baltimore faster. You would get to Washington faster. You would get to New England faster. So one of the many reasons why New York City does not claim Buffalo as its team is because off the top of my head, you could get to six other NFL franchises faster than you can get to Buffalo. Let's go to Arthur and Roselle. Arthur. Hey, how's it going, guy? Uh, it's Pat, but it's good. Thanks. Good. Just want to talk about the Knicks. Um, thank God for uh, the All-Star break. Uh, I love Tibbs as a coach, uh, but when it comes to minutes, like, these guys were dropping like flies. You know, Hartenstein injury, the uh, DiVincenzo injury was just for – Overusage. So, to me, the most important thing is just coming back, being healthy. Listen, if it's for us, regardless of seeding, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do what we got to do. But the main thing is come back healthy. And once we come back healthy, I think you got to cut these guys' minutes down, man. What do you say about that? That's gonna be an interesting thing. And I went through this earlier, Arthur. Thanks for the call. I look. I can't prove that. And, and you mentioned the two specific injuries that I would possibly equate to this. I can't prove that DiVincenzo and Hartenstein's injuries were as a result of playing too many minutes. But I also wouldn't rule that out. Now, and to be fair, the caller um, did not mention Randall or Ananobi. Those injuries are not a result of playing too many minutes. I mean, Randall uh, separated his shoulder because he collided with Jaime Hawkes Jr. and just fell wrong. Um, that had nothing to do with playing too many minutes. OG Ananobi had what was probably a pre-existing bulky elbow with some loose fragments inside that they went in, had some surgery, cleaned it up. DiVincenzo and Hartenstein, look, DiVincenzo, it's a hamstring, and he's been playing a lot of minutes. Isaiah Hartenstein was signed to be a backup center, and since December 8th, when Mitch went down, he has been playing as a starting center. He's been playing the best basketball of his career, and he's been playing the most minutes of his career. So I don't have proof that those injuries occurred because they were playing too many minutes, but I also wouldn't rule that out. Now, it'll be interesting to see what Tom Thibodeau does when this team is fully healthy because, as I said before, he likes to go with a nine-man rotation. The problem is, in the last two weeks, he's had like a seven-man rotation, all right? Um, if he, he could go as deep if everybody's healthy as 11 you know, you could have even 12 if you include Jericho Sims, who has started and who has played meaningful minutes for this Knicks team. Now, he's not going 12 deep. He's not going 11 deep. He's probably not even going to go 10 players deep if everybody is healthy. So there's going to be a couple of guys left out of the mix. One of them will most likely be Sims. One of them will likely be Deuce McBride, even though he's really 
shown that he can contribute in his new role. You know, the other one could be Precious Achua. Maybe Mitchell Robinson doesn't come back. But if the Knicks can get back to a nine-man rotation of guys who they trust, then the impetus to play these guys so many minutes will not be there. Now, once the playoffs come, all bets are off. Uh, I'm trying to see what the Knicks rotation looked like in their last game before the All-Star break uh, when they played against, that was on Valentine's Day, they played against Orlando. You had Brunson, Burks, Hart, Achua, and Sims were the starting five. They all played at least 30 minutes. Achua played 43 minutes. McBride played 32 minutes off the bench as the sixth man. And your seventh man was Jacob Toppin, who played 17 minutes. So that's a perfect example. Um, Yes, those guys played a lot of minutes, but Tom Thibodeau had a six-man rotation available to him that game. You know, he only played Taj Gibson nine minutes. Jacob Toppin and Charlie Brown Jr. also played. Those guys are both on two-way contracts, and they're primarily G League players. So let's see what it looks like on Thursday when hopefully DiVincenzo comes back and Hartenstein comes back and Boyan Bogdanovich comes back. 1-800-919-3776. I'll have some thoughts on the Giants and an interesting conversation I had yesterday with Gary Myers about the Giants' head coaching situation and an all-time great who might factor in to those plans. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. Hey, how's it going, guy? Uh, It's Pat, but it's good. Thanks. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, so the Knicks schedule coming out of the break, and they uh, resume action on Thursday in Philadelphia. And then they get the Celtics on Saturday night at home, another nationally televised game. Um, Fourth meeting of the season between the Knicks and Boston. And then two more, well, three more home games uh, on that homestand. The Pistons and the Pelicans on back-to-back nights. That's Monday and Tuesday, the 26th and the 27th. And then the Golden State Warriors, who have started to play better on Leap Day, February 29th, another nationally televised game. Then a road game in Cleveland, which will be an interesting matchup and a chance for the Knicks to gain ground. And then they come home for another four-game homestand against the Hawks, Magic, and back-to-back games against the 76ers. So that's a challenging schedule. And then you think, okay, well, maybe it's got to relax at some point. Well, They head out west, which is never easy. The four-game West Coast road trip during the Big East tournament. Uh, You have the Trailblazers, the Kings, the Warriors again, and the Denver Nuggets. So the schedule for the Knicks, not easy. They need to get healthy. That's the biggest concern. That's really, I wouldn't say the only concern. That's the biggest concern for this Knicks team right now. That's the one thing holding them back. Let's go back to the phones. Jose in Brooklyn checking in. What's up, Jose? Hey, good uh, good morning to uh, Pat Sy. Um Shout out to the company, and just wanted to definitely chime in with the Knicks because I was definitely watching the All Star festivities yesterday, and I was just you know pretty as you know we've been going through you know the whole season, and you know we both look at it from a very overall type of point of view, and you know the, these moves pretty much you know were in in the process since you know the. Uh, of last off season when we decided to trade Obi Toppin to make room for the um, signing of Dante DiVincenzo. And then we decided to, you know, trade uh, Barrett and quickly for the upgrade in OG Ananobi and Precious Achua pretty much came 
pretty much became the sleeper in that deal, which my good friend Spike was always telling me about. And now we made made, made the trade for um, Bo, Bojan and um yep. and, and Burke, and it's just like at this point, it's more of you know we 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 we've kind of not now we're back it feels like we're back at the same point of of last year where where but even but with that 15 and 2 run it kind of made us got a little giddy and excited and now you know my concern is is of course um them getting back together at you know right before the playoff right before the playoff run and will they you know gel together and will they have that continuity and even though they're just working two players it's still two players in that bench formation that still got to find themselves with the hearts and the and the other and the other players and you know also the concern like you said you know when it comes to coaching as well I I I love Tibbs I think he's a great I think he's a very good coach it's more of is he when he gets into that, those final four fours or those conference semifinals? He's going to be facing the elite coaches of the world, and you know, going with the nine man rotation, I, I I just don't feel like that's enough when coaches like Malone and Spolstra always find ways to use players deep end in, the, in their bench and somehow gets the best out of them in playoff time. Meanwhile, we're, we're you know, playing Brunson, Randall, and all these guys 40, for almost 40 minutes during the playoff time. And I, I think that that's going to make a difference. And I and I don't want that to be the case, but, you know, who's, let, let's see. Well, we'll see. I can say the, the biggest difference, and thanks for the call, is – the Knicks have a lot more depth than they did last season. And if they're completely healthy, and that's the biggest concern right now, but if they're completely healthy, this is not the same team as it was last year. The OG Ananobi fit, and the biggest focus is on what he has brought to the Knicks defensively. I would say when he was playing and contributing, equally as important was the improvement that he helped to facilitate on the offensive end. Not because he's this dynamic offensive player, but what he does on offense fits so much better than what they had at that spot in R.J. Barrett. Barrett, like we have said over and over again, was a guy who needed the ball. He was best when he was creating for himself, getting downhill, slicing and dicing his way to the basket and finishing. But the Knicks not only have two other guys that that's their game and they do it better than Barrett, they also have two other left-handers who that's their game and they do it better than Barrett. There was just too much redundancy. Put aside what Ananobi brings defensively, which is fantastic, and we saw it on full display, games in which he had six steals, games in which he had three blocks. The plus-minus numbers were off the charts every game in the plus category when he was on the floor. Offensively, what does Ananobi do? He cuts to the basket. The Knicks have guys like Brunson and Hart and DiVincenzo and Hartenstein who can find the cutter for easy baskets inside. The other part of Ananobi's game is he can spot up from three, specifically from the corner, and knock down an open three-point jump shot at a higher rate of success again than the guy who he replaced in that spot in R.J. Barrett. It is a perfect fit. So that's the biggest reason why this Knicks team is not the same as last year's Knicks team. And then you have upgraded the other pieces in the rotation. First of all, I overlooked the obvious. Jalen Brunson is a much better player this year than he was last year. Julius Randle, before the injury, was a more efficient player 
than he was last year. So the fit on offense among their top three players is different. And then you've upgraded the Quentin Grimes spot to Dante DiVincenzo. You've upgraded the bench scoring roles to Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks. Isaiah Hartenstein is playing the best basketball of his career. Mitchell Robinson was playing the best basketball of his career. It's a much better team than it was last year when they went to the second round of the playoffs. The idea of how this team is constructed is this. If you remember back to the Knicks' last game of the season last year in Miami, in the fourth quarter of that game, Brunson, I forget the exact total, but he went for 40 points in that game. He was a one-man show. Barrett, I think, was one for 10. Randall, who wasn't 100%, physically was also struggling in the fourth quarter of that game as the Knicks almost came back to beat the Heat and elongate that series to a seventh game that would have been in the Garden. Outside of Jalen Brunson, the Knicks had one field goal in the entire fourth quarter. It was Josh Hart, a layup off a feed from Brunson with about a minute to go. Brunson was a one-man show last year. The way the Knicks are set up right now, they are set up so that is not the case. Brunson has more help in those crucial moments, whether it's Ananobi spotting up and being a reliable three-point shooter, whether it's Dante DiVincenzo, who's on pace to set the Knicks' single-season record for three-pointers made. And then if you want to dip into the bench, you have Boyan Bogdanovich. You have Alec Burks, two veteran players who have been in big games, who have performed in big games, and who are not going to be afraid of the big moments. So this Knicks team, when fully healthy, and that again is the biggest concern here, if and when they get fully healthy, they are much better set up for success in the postseason. But we've got to get there, right? You can't just sit here and say, uh, on February 18th, yeah, the Knicks are, are better than last year if everybody gets back. You got to get everybody back. You got to get DiVincenzo back and Hartenstein and Ananobi and Randall, of course, and Boyan Bogdanovich. And if Mitchell Robinson wants to come back as well, well, that's all the better. Uh, some closing thoughts uh, after the break. We'll um, touch on a football point that I want to make, and then we'll hand things off to Larry Hardesty here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, fun show this morning. Thanks to all the callers. Tom Bauer, Harvey Cruz as well for producing. Three hours have flown by. Larry Hardesty coming up at the top of the hour. I'm actually going to hop in the car and head out to MetLife Stadium and take in this spectacle of the uh, Rangers and the Islanders in the stadium series this afternoon. So that'll be a lot of fun. If you're listening along, make sure to tune into ESPN New York at 2.30, our pregame coverage starts. The game starts at 3 o'clock. Uh, wanted to get to this. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, had Gary Myers, the longtime NFL writer and columnist for the Daily News on my show yesterday, talking about the NFL offseason. It's still surprising to me that that Bill Belichick is sitting without a job right now because there were a couple of uh, spots that certainly looked like they would have made sense for Bill Belichick. Teams that have pieces in place, whether it's a quarterback, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's a little bit of both, that this past season did not reach their potential. And the L.A. Chargers are one that certainly came to mind. And then during the playoffs, the Cowboys are another one that was discussed. The Philadelphia Eagles were another one that was discussed. Um, Had this question for Gary Myers yesterday, and I thought his answer was very interesting. 
Let me ask you this hypothetical. If Woody Johnson mm-hmm. called Bill Belichick and offered him the head coaching job right now, would he come? I, I don't think so. I, I think that Belichick has such a deep contempt for the Jets, whether founded or not. I mean, the people that he didn't like aren't there anymore. I, I know that the Jets embarrassed him with the whole Spygate thing. But Woody Johnson's the only one left from there, from then, and he had nothing to do with that. That was Tannenbaum and Mangini. Now, if you ask me a question, would Belichick come back to the Giants next year? Absolutely. Would he go to Dallas? Absolutely. Those are one and one A for me for Belichick next year. And I think the mis- biggest misconception is that he needs to have full control. I think he said it right at the end of the regular season, and he sent a message around the league that he would be willing to stay in New England without full control. I think that would have been an impossible situation because once you have control, at the place. It's very hard to take a step back, but I think you can go to another situation and just coach. Tom Coughlin did that going from Jacksonville where he had all the power to the Giants where he only coached. I think that's a really interesting answer, and to be honest with you, a scenario that I did not have top of mind because I actually thought towards the end of the season Brian Dable once again proved that he is a good coach maybe not the toast of the town that he was his first year in New York when they went nine seven and one and won a playoff game was named the coach of the year but the Giants season last year was rough and when they lost to the Cowboys 49-17 on November 12th to fall to two and eight that was rock bottom and I think Dable showed a lot by the way the team finished. They were 4-3 and three over their last seven games. A lot of that done with Tommy DeVito, who I don't think is an NFL-caliber starting quarterback. They played tough against the Eagles on Christmas Day. Uh, they should have beaten the Rams, a playoff team, the following week at MetLife Stadium. They beat a Green Bay team that was minutes away from going to the NFC Championship game. I thought it was impressive the way Brian Dable righted the ship and figured out a way to win. Now, there are still plenty of red flags. One of the biggest reasons the team finished strong was Wink Martindale, which was also one of the biggest reasons why the team went to the playoffs the season before. Wink Martindale and Brian Dable could not make it work. Martindale left in a huff, and I think the relationship between the head coach and a highly accomplished defensive coordinator and that he couldn't make that work, I think it's a red flag. As far as Belichick to the Giants, look, even if Dayball is a good coach, and I think that he is, there are certain times in sports where a team was solidified in a position with somebody that was pretty good, but they still, because of their high ambitions, decided to move on. Like when Alex Smith was the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs and taking them to the playoffs annually, but they still felt it was in the franchise's best interest to replace him with Patrick Mahomes. The Miami Heat had Stan Van Gundy as their head coach about 15 years ago. But Pat Riley saw the makings of a championship team. He replaced Stan Van Gundy with himself. And the Heat won the 2006 NBA championship. Look what the Warriors did. Mark Jackson took over a Golden State Warriors franchise that was a laughingstock. Within three years, they were a 50-win team. They went to the second round of the playoffs. It was the beginning of the Splash Brothers, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Golden State wanted more. They brought in Steve Kerr, and the rest is history. And we even saw it this year. We're not sure how this is going to play out, but Adrian Griffin 
the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, 30-13, and 13, replaced by Doc Rivers. Got a minute to go. Let's go to Tony in the Bronx real quick. Tony, what's on your mind? Yeah, how you doing, Mom? How you doing, man? I just got a question about the Knicks. Yep. Um, if, let's say he finishes the third seed. Yep. And, okay, uh, would, he, would, he, would, he, would he feel better taking on the pesky Indiana Pacers in the first round? or a more playoff-ready Miami Heat in the first round? It's a good question, Tony. Uh, thanks for waiting. Um, I would rather face the Pacers in the first round. Uh, the Pacers, they are still lacking defensively. Both teams are well-coached, but Miami is led by the best coach in the NBA, Eric Spolstra. If the choice for me, from the Knicks' perspective, do you want to face the Pacers or the Heat in the first round, give me the Indiana Pacers every single time. Fun show today. Uh, thanks to Kenny Albert for hopping on and sharing some stories about his career and previewing the stadium series for us. Harvey and Tom, great job as always.